It's grades day here on the Lockdown Steelers podcast. Stars and skulls on, on, on a lot of the Steelers players from that win at the Colts. Not a lot of super highs, but no super lows either. We'll talk about who, who went where. Also, credit to the offensive line, the Steelers. It's been a patchwork job, but they are improving them and the backups who stepped up. Mike Tomlin had some interesting comments that we talk about today on the Locked on Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, joined today by Josh Taylor of KDK TV and 93.7 The Fan here in Pittsburgh. Let's get into it. You are Locked on Steelers, your daily Pittsburgh Steelers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, bringing you your daily dose of all things of the Pittsburgh Steelers. As always, you can find the show on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, and YouTube. If you're watching this video on YouTube, hit the like button on the video if you enjoy it. Hit the subscribe button on our YouTube channel to get all of our daily Monday through Friday episodes, as well as our bonus content. We thank you for making the Locked On Steelers podcast your first listen every day, because we're covering your team. Every day. As I said before, we got Josh Taylor's back on the show. You know, Josh, he's the man. He's always that, you know, he knows everything that's going on in Pittsburgh and around the around the world in sports. Josh, how you doing? I'm good. At the time we're recording this show, I just got done doing a Duquesne basketball game. Doing play you know what I mean? play by play for Duquesne, UC Santa Barbara, which Duquesne won, by the way, six and one, which uh short little history lesson here. They already matched last year's win total. They won there six games go. all last season, and this season they've already won six in November. So it, it's kind of fun to be a part of a team that's doing some stuff that's, you know, a little bit more noteworthy other than being at the, the bottom end of the, the barrel, so to speak, from last season. So, yeah, there's some promise going on in the bluff. It's fun to be a part of it. And as an alum, it's, it's like a dream job anyway. So I love it. I hear that. It's great. But that's, again, why he's the man. He's 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 here. He's there. He's everywhere. Let's keep talking, though, about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Josh, the Steelers' run game has come alive since since the bye week. And for a while, it was Najee Harris getting getting a lot of big plays. But you also saw Benny Stell and Anthony McFarlane get their licks in. Um, Jalen Warren's had some good moments. But usually when you're seeing all those guys play well, usually stacks up to the offensive line doing very well. And we're going to get into our grades later where I put guys at stars and skulls and all those other things. But – to me, a lot of this comes down to I, I think that they actually got it right when they signed Mason Cole at center. There were a lot of questions if he'd be able to do that. I talked to Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings, and he was like, man, I don't know. That guy was inconsistent with his snapping. He's been pretty consistent, especially in, in I'd say, the last like month and a half to two months of play. And he's been a stabilizing presence on the, on the Steelers' offensive line. That was the first thing I was going to say, stabilizing presence. He seems like the one guy that if everything else is kind of falling apart around them, he seems to be the one thing that kind of holds it all together. Not to mention the fact that he's grown into a leadership role. He's been one of the more vocal guys in the locker room, especially among the offensive linemen, and I'm sure you can attest to that as much as anybody because you're in there pretty often. I think it, I think it comes back to the fact that you know they went in with the game plan in the offseason of bringing in veteran guys. They didn't want to just completely – load up the offensive line with uh, rookie talent because they were at the time they were thinking at the time they were thinking they probably had a chance to try to contend with what the pieces that they had in place, not expecting to have to, you know, pull the ripcord on the Kenny Pickett experiment so early, but at the same time, bringing in veteran guys like a James Daniels and a Mason Cole, 
not only did you bring in a veteran presence or two veteran presence up front, you also brought in guys that kind of assumed leadership roles immediately because Dan Moore is a younger guy. Chooks Okorafor haven't been in the league a few years. He's still relatively young. And I think that's something you have pointed out on my radio show before, how young Chooks Okorafor is. So, and then same thing with Kevin Dotson. He's relatively younger as far as experience. So they needed guys that could come in and really become, you know, something stable or stabilizing in that regard. And Mason Cole has become that. And I think it's really important moving forward to do that because a lot of people are, are questioning the the need for changes on the offensive line. And I'm probably one of those people that thinks changes are necessary, but you don't want to completely, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. You got to keep somebody in there that can keep things moving, so to speak, or kind of keep that ball rolling. And I think Mason Cole is one of those guys. Absolutely. I think he is one of those guys. We got a chance to talk to Mike Tomlin during his Tuesday press conference. Uh, the first question from Buzz, uh, from, uh, Buzz, that's his Buzz saw is his nickname, but Chris, Chris is the man, but um, we, we, he had a, he had a good question about a lot of the backups who stepped up like Benny Snell, like Anthony Farnham, but also like James Pierre. And again, we'll get to all their grades later, but um, he has that asked that question. And then I asked him what has gone into J- Mason Cole, what he appreciated the most about Mason Cole. He was Mike Tomlin from his Tuesday press conference answering those questions. Their attitudes, you can make the case that Pierre, Snell, McFarland were demoted or had lesser roles earlier this year than they had in the past. So they're all their work ethics and their and their mindset and they're been buying in during the time. I think we always acknowledge that roles never stay the same, they're ever changing. And so sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. This is football at its highest level. I think all guys know and understand that and and, and that's why they walk in the building with the spirit that they do every day. You got to earn it daily. And, and those guys continue to walk in with that spirit, regardless of what the division of labor might be, uh, because they need to be ready for their next opportunity. Now, aside from, I think you used the phrase, the battlefield promotion that McFarland and Snell had, aside from that aspect, the actual running of the football, what did you like most about what those two guys did? I thought they stayed within their skill set. Uh, Benny is a deliberate, one cut downhill runner. Ant Mac is bursty and explosive um, and good in space, and I just thought they leaned on their strengths. Mike, what's been the, the biggest thing that you appreciated out of Mason Cole? He's a guy, this is his first year with the team. You know, he's had it multiple weeks. We started off kind of limited, but been able to step up for you guys in a big way. Man, he, he's a sharp guy. He brings a can do attitude. He's a winner in his approach to ball. Um, he's a good communicator. His football intellect is, is really solid. Um, and it's helpful at that position in terms of the identification of protections and, and the picking up a blitz game. So, so go, going into that, those are all things, being a sharp guy, being a person who can pick up those blitzes, blitz calls. And, and something that I brought up too, you know, Mason Cole started the week in a walking boot and people were wondering if he'd be able to play. Mike Tomlin was like, no, he'll play. And because he had done that multiple times this year, and he's absolutely right. There's times I've seen Mason Cole just on a walking boot. He, he comes out. You know, you know, limited participant early in the week, you know, turns himself into a full participant, and he's been an asset to the Steelers, and and they found ways to win with him. I think that also losing him in the second half of the Bengals game was a bigger impact than a lot of people recognized because J.C. Hassenauer missed several key blocks that could have sprung some bigger plays uh, for the Steelers, and that's not the only reason they lost that game. But saying you know Mason Cole being an asset there, you know, I I think. You know, as much as Mason Cole deserves credit, I think Pat Meyer, the offensive line coach the Steelers hired, who a lot of people maligned before he even got a chance to do anything, 
I think he deserves credit for making this, turning this group of, you know, two fourth rounders on the left side, you know, Mason Cole, James Daniels up the middle and Chikuma Korf on the right. He doesn't have a DeCastro or a Pouncey or even a Marcus Gilbert. Marcus Gilbert. You know, know, he doesn't have any of those type of guys to kind of, to kind of say, Hey, everyone get behind this guy. He's going to set the tone for the game. And he's made this group a much better unit. That's helping the Steelers win games late in the year. Yeah, I'll 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 start with a song reference. I'm usually good for one movie reference a show, but I'll start with a song reference. Don't it always seem to go? Uh, you don't know what you got till it's gone. I mean, that's the case with Mason Cole. I don't think people really appreciated just what Mason Cole got to brought to that group until you didn't have him. Yeah, and that's the thing with it, not even necessarily great offensive linemen, just you know, good, serviceable, functional offensive linemen. When they're not in there, and you're you're stuck with somebody else who may not have as much experience or did not have as much practice time you're going to see a drop off and it's hard to, you know, try to reconcile that because by then it's too late. And I think you're right. I think that second half of the Cincinnati game, you don't have Mason Cole in there. And we saw what the offense struggled with in the second half. And part of it was they weren't really consistently able to run the football and keep everything moving as far as helping out the passing game. Cause I- I'm going to keep saying this, Chris, we've been saying this is what the last season going into the off season this offense is not going to be able to function the way people want it to if the run game can't be consistent because it has to set everything else up. And you saw in the second half against Cincinnati how it became a problem when they couldn't seem to get off the ground. And to your point about Pat Meyer, I think you're absolutely right. There was, I want to say maybe a few weeks back, might have been after, it might have been Mike Tomlin's press conference after the Saints game, so maybe it was two weeks ago. But Mike Tomlin was asked about the offensive line and how he's seen the growth because he keeps talking about how he sees growth and development on that part of the team. And the one thing he talked about was how these guys are just, you know, taking to double team blocks better because there just hadn't been enough chemistry there. Actually, it might have been your question, come to think of it. But, you know, there hadn't been a lot of chemistry remember. I, I appreciate when people remember which questions I ask to try oh, to get gotcha. I try to ask those film questions, man. I, well, first of all, when I, first of all, when I'm watching the Mike Tomlin press conference, I it helps when you know the voices of all the people in the room. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking people out. Like, you played that clip. I'm like, yep, yeah, that's Chris Adepsi. Yep, that's Tim Benz. Oh, this Carter. So, like, I, I listened for certain people. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was one of your questions. And he talked about just – the, the way that they're taking on double team blocks better. He was talking about James Daniels and Chooks Corfor and how they're starting to work together as far as feeling each other out and knowing when to make that move and when to come off that double team block and then get to the next level because that's one of those elements of a zone blocking scheme. And if you're not well-versed in it, you don't always catch on right away. And, and I don't think people really understand, you know, the difference between gap and zone blocking when you're so well-versed in one and then you're thrust – we have the other one thrust upon you, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of an adjustment. It's like going from an iPhone to an Android or vice versa. You know, you're used to one thing and then you got to learn something else kind of messes you up a bit. So you knew there was going to be a little bit of growing pains there and trying to figure out how they can better gel. But Mike Tomlin talked about how that development was coming a lot better. And there was one thing I noticed, not necessarily during the Buffalo game, but during the Tampa game that you saw a little bit more of a push up front because those first four or five games of the season, they call run plays. And you'd see those guys getting pushed back, or you'd see one or two guys getting pushed back. I mean, when the, even when a couple of guys got to push up front, you'd see one or two getting pushed backward. Now, in these last four or five weeks, you're seeing guys collectively get a push. And that's one of those things where it may not happen overnight, but when it happens, you see it and you notice it. And that's one of the things that stuck out with me. And I agree with you. I think Pat Meyer should get some credit because he's not dealing with the high pedigree group. And I'll, 
I'm going to talk about a previous offensive line coach, and this might bother some people, but we always like to, you know, we like to rewrite stories a lot. And yeah, this is nothing against Mike Munchak because he was a fabulous coach and he was a Hall of Fame, you know, type presence as far as coach and player. But Mike Munchak also had a couple of first round picks, a second rounder, and an undrafted free agent that the Steelers hit the lottery on in Ramon Foster. So he had that group and brought those guys in together. Not to mention the fact they had a sixth round pick on say on the left side that they really, really nailed it with Kelvin Beecham too. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of talent there that they got the most out of. Now, did Mike Munchak coach them up? Absolutely. But some of those guys walked in the door with pretty good ability. So like that, that marriage is what made it work. Pat Meyer doesn't have that kind of slate to work with. He's got a little bit of a different situation there talent-wise, but he's been able to get those guys to at least work together. And that in and of itself is a victory. I don't think people really realize just how important it is for all five men on that offensive line to be cohesive because if one guy is off, the rest of it falls apart. So the fact that he's been able to get those guys on the same page, so you see that kind of development to where, you know, Chuk Sikorafor and James Daniels are working together tandem, you know, as far as uh, double team blocks in the zone blocking scheme or things of that nature, even just improvements in, in, in pass protection and knowing who's going to be where, or who needs to pick up this guy. All of that stuff is important because if one thing goes wrong, all of it can fall apart. And we saw a lot of that in the first four or five games of the season, but not as much of it recently. I think Pat Meyer deserves credit for that. Absolutely. We're going to get into grades in just a minute here on the Locked On Steelers podcast. But first, we got to talk to you guys about Toro. Toro is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Toro, you can book any car you want wherever you want it from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, or the U.K., Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from point A to point B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits into your everyday life. Many Toro hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance, terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Ditch boring rental cars and find your drive at Toro.com. Today's episode is brought, also brought to you by Audible. Audible is releasing a slate of new football podcasts that we're sure you're going to love. That's why you'll 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 have to be able to find that Block Forever a, a podcast available as a bonus episode on Locked On NFL right now. Block Forever is a brand new podcast from former NFL All Pro uh, Ryan Khalil and and Audible. Khalil takes the conversation about football to the next level. He gives football fans and insiders look at the game through the eyes of the greatest players and personalities of all time. New episodes of Block Forever will be recorded and released every week ahead of Thursday Night Football. Head over to Locked On NFL for a sneak peek of Block Forever or catch the full series available available anywhere to get you where you get your podcast. Audible, get in the game. And when we do back-to-back ad reads, we keep it rolling here on the Locked On Steelers podcast. Let's get to these grades. Now, as I always tell people who are new to the show, if you're not new, if you're a returning show, first of all, we thank you for being a returning show and riding with us because we ride at dawn here on the Locked On Steelers podcast. Let's go over the quick our, our grading rubric. We don't do A, B, C's, and D's. We, we have our own group rubric here. We have stars and skulls, kind of like decals that you used to get on your helmet if you used to play football. Stars are good. Skulls are bad. Uh, one star means you had a good play and a decent day. Two stars means you had a great play with a, with a good day to go behind it. Three stars means you were an elite performer, all pro consideration for that game. Skulls, this, this the same thing, just in the opposite direct opposite direction. One skull means you had a bad play and didn't really have, didn't have a redeeming moment or a, ba- a kind of a bad game with a couple good plays. 
Two skulls means you had a bad game as a whole. Three skulls means you were all-time terrible. And it, it, there is a bit of a curve here when we talk about this because there's different expectations for different guys. And I said it to preface my first guy. We're going to go backwards here. Normally, we lead with stars. We're going to lead with skulls today. We're going to go. We had one two-skull player. And, Josh, I'm, I might be being a little harsh here, but my two-skull player is Deontay Johnson. I just – I felt wow. – I felt his early start was really good. He caught two passes for first downs, but but Josh, as the game continued, I thought he I thought he wasn't doing enough. I thought he I thought he dropped he dropped a touchdown that he had to haul in. And, yeah, and there was a there was a beautifully schemed up play, and I know a lot of a lot of blame goes to Matt Canada for not making everything work all the time. But there was a beautifully schemed up play. It was second and long for the Steelers. They needed to kind of you know either get medium yards to get back into to make it third and manageable or hit the hit this play exactly as designed, and they could have scored a touchdown. And the design was there. It was a slant or a short, a shallow crosser for Deontay Johnson against a soft zone. Pat Firemuth, George Pickens, they set up blocks downfield. That gave the lane for Deontay Johnson to run for a first down, maybe even a touchdown. And instead of taking that lane, he runs to the sideline and into a defender and ended up losing yards, and it was third and six. Now, thankfully for the Steelers, Kenny Pickett made it not matter by comp completing a pass to Pat Firemuth on the next play. But – it's those two moments, and I, 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 I even feel like I'm, I feel like I might to myself I'm being a little harsh here. But I'm, I just look at me, like, Deontay, you ain't scored a touchdown this. You, you got to get in there, man. You got to get in. Josh, am I being too harsh here? No, and especially given the fact that a lot of the criticism surrounding Deontay Johnson is not only because of his play on the field, it also is because this play of the, on the field that we've seen this season comes after him signing the extension a that he signed. Huge contract. And, to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah, that that's kind of how you look at it. And I, I, the more you laid it out, the more I kind of understood it. And and you're right. When you have opportunities like that to make big plays or to score in a game where those opportunities may not come that easily, where they may come at a premium, you got to take advantage of them. And that's what elite players do. Elite players take advantage of those opportunities. And you, you mentioned the, the shallow crosser out, and I remember shaking my head thinking what would Bill Walsh say if he saw a play like that? Mm. Because his theory was always timing plus space equals yak. Like that was yep. kind of one of the premises that the West Coast offense was built upon. It's just, you know, having the right timing, get a guy open in space. And even though it's a short pass play, if you get it to a guy in space, he can do the rest of the work for you and really help amplify that play and make it a lot more effective. And he missed opportunities to do that too. So I, I, I thought, wow, at first, but the more you laid it out, it made a lot of sense to me. And that's not often that you see a receiver of his caliber fail to make plays like that. I was saying this at halftime. I'm sitting there going, they have the lead that they do. This could be a three-possession game. It could yeah. be a 20-point game. And I thought they missed out on an opportunity to win a game by multiple possessions instead of winning it by one. I, I agree. There were there were opportunities there, and I, you know, I, again, I, I don't. I only do that because I think that Deontay Johnson can be a special wide receiver when he puts it all together, and he just hasn't put it together enough this year. But let's get to our one skull guys. Not a lot of them. When I was going back over the game, uh, there were mistakes here and there. But my one skull guys, I gave Miles Jack, Dan Moore Jr., Kevin Dotson, Terrell Edmonds. Now, 
I give these guys on defense, Miles Jack and Terrell Edmonds, because Edmonds gave up a big pass play. He did have a sack, but I felt like Edmonds could have been a little bit sharper there. Miles Jack was getting picked on a bit in some of the coverage situations. Granted, I do think he could have been he could have been given a couple push-offs, uh, offensive pass interference calls that weren't being given to them. But ultimately, that's where Matt Ryan was going. Uh, when he was trying to when he was trying to get things going in the second half and had some success, I will say this though: we talk about Dan Moore Jr. and Kevin Dotson there. Kevin Dotson, I think you know he had a couple bad moments, but he he was he had some couple uh, some some good moments as well. But I felt like his his bad outweighed his good in the long run to almost neutralize his play. But there were just some whiffs that I thought were like a little too much. Dan Moore Jr. Josh, in the first two series, I I was ready to give him three skulls. I thought he was done, toast. I'm like, this is ridiculous. He's he's not even usable. He's not even serviceable. This is terrible. The reason I dropped it to one skull was because, and it almost neutralized it to just give him an even grade for the game, was because he blocked his butt off after that first quarter, and especially in the run game. Some of those biggest runs by Najee Harris and by, by Benny Stanley and by Anthony McFarlane were with him just collapsing his side of the line to the inside and opening up a path to those guys. I do feel like he responded well in the moment of adversity. I thought he was going to be your two skull guy. I thought that's I where almost, you were going. I almost made him it, but yeah. I feel like with as the, as the second year, fourth round draft pick guy, he did step up with several key blocks as the game went. I didn't wipe out all the bad that he did, but mm. it to me it, it it did enough to say, all right, wasn't it? It wasn't your worst game. It was your worst start that I've ever seen uh, in the first quarter. But he balanced it out with play throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, I felt like he killed two drives single handedly. Two drives. I one agree. With I, I tweeted it. Yeah, I was like this. One is with the penalty, it. and one where there was just a string mm-hmm. of plays where he just could not seem to get two hands on someone and keep them from moving forward. It it was, it was rough. It was really brutal. And I, I'll say this much. And it feels like, you know, that left side between both him and Kevin Dotson it, with Kevin Dotson, you, you mentioned that there were some good moments, but it does seem like for every one thing he does, there's almost like two things that he does to kind of cancel it out. Oh, it does feel like one step forward, two steps back with him. So yeah, I agree with both of those as far as what's called guys. And, and Miles Jack, here's what makes it a little yeah. bit more curious with Miles Jack. They didn't have Robert Spillane. Right. And that's what makes this even more curious. Now, if you told me they didn't have Miles Jack and Robert Spillane was the guy that got picked on, I'm not as surprised. To see it be the other way around is what was surprising for me. I hear you on that, but I want to point something else before we go, we go to our uh, go to our stars in a minute here. You and I talked about all offseason long and during the training camp about the offensive line. And we say, listen, this group does not have the star talent. Do not expect them to get better, but as they get better, it's going to be a roller coaster. There's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. And what are we talking about with Dan Moore Jr. and Kevin Donson right now? Lots of highs. Lots of lows and trying to figure out the balance between them. There's not a steady one track of just success right now for those guys. And you know what? That's fine for young guys. They got they're they're finding their feet. They got to mature better if they want a long term contract. But right. this is kind of the expectation when you have young offensive linemen who you haven't invested a whole lot into as far as draft capital or big money. Yeah, it, it's not like we're talking about a. a- a David DeCastro or Marquise Pouncey who you use first round picks or on right. or a second rounder like Marcus Gilbert. You're talking about lower pick, lower round pick guys that, you know, 
you know are going to need some polish. And this is the reason why certain guys are, are day two or early day three guys, because, you know, they still need some work. They've got a couple things, maybe some raw elements that are impressive that set them apart. But there are some of those finer points that they still need to perfect. And both of those guys have finer points that have not been perfected yet. Absolutely. We'll get into our stars in just a bit, minute here on our Locked On Steelers grade from the Steelers 24-17 win over the Indianapolis Colts. But first, we got to talk to you guys about LinkedIn. And of course, LinkedIn is the ultimate place that people go to when they're looking for jobs. So if you're looking for people to hire, best place to go for it as well is LinkedIn. These days, every, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager on your small business. But you need to still find the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. That's where LinkedIn Jobs comes in, and they make it easy to find people that you want to talk to faster and for free. Just go to LinkedIn and create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivery quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs help you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Lease the 2024 RX 350 Premium All-Wheel Drive for $528 a month for 36 months with $49.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer in the Lexus Eastern area and it's April 1st, 2024. Back here on the Locked On Steelers podcast, I'm Chris Carter. He's Josh Taylor. We're getting to the stars segment here for the Steelers, and, and there's a lot of guys that, that that fit into the stars. I will say that there were no three star players in this game in, in my book. There were guys who almost could have got there, uh, but there were still some really good contributors. Let's start with the one stars because there's a lot of them here, Josh. Mm. I got Larry Ogunjobi, Cam Sutton, James Daniels, George Pickens, Cam Hayward, Kenny Pickett, Pat Frymuth, Minka Fitzpatrick, Devin Bush. Presley Harvin, Arthur Mollett, Matthew Wright, Benny Snell, and Najee Harris. It's a lot of guys on this list. And, and granted, I might add some more retrospectively once I keep because I like to watch games four or five times over. I've only had a chance to really watch it once and a half-ish right now um, because just it's, it's it was a short turnaround with Monday Night Football, and this is uh, the Wednesday episode. But um, it's especially, you know, going over some of, some of these guys here. Um, George Pickens had two drops. But he also had a spectacular catch down the sideline, a spectacular catch over the middle on a third and long that the Steelers absolutely had to have. And a, he caught the two-point conversion. So I was like, you know what? Those balance out. I think he still had a positive day. I almost gave Kenny Pickett two stars. But going back over the film and seeing some of the opportunities that he missed, I was like, ah, like you managed the game well, and you get a, a star for that. But if he if he had floated, if he had put that more touch on that pass to George Pickens in the end zone, Josh, Mm. He, he would have been a two-star guy for me this game because then he would have thrown the touchdown 
and manage the game well along on top of avoiding turnovers. But am I being too harsh on Kenny Pickett here, Josh? Should should I have been giving him two stars? No, I think if he completes that pass for a touchdown, then that's I think it pushes him over the edge. I think that was the one thing that was missing, honestly. Yeah. Everything else about that performance, 20 of 28, you're talking 70% completion percentage. It's just Pretty hard good. to argue yeah. with that. With a rookie quarterback on the road in another primetime game that he's starting, because he's already started in one against Miami, and I was getting another one on Monday Night Football, completely 70% of your passes, not turning the ball over and, and running the ball pretty effectively too. What, six carries for 32 yards? Yeah. He did just about everything you expect a young quarterback that has mobility to do. The only thing missing was, you know, throwing that touchdown pass. He did throw the two-point conversion, but, you know, that touchdown pass, all he was missing was the accuracy. Yeah, if he puts that there, we're we're talking about Kenny Pickett having hands down the best game as a Pittsburgh Steeler, and and you know trying to figure out okay, well he's done these things, so what's what's next? And that, I think that's the the consistency that you're looking for as far as the consistency and making those plays, doing those small things that lead to the bigger successes. So yeah, I agree with that. Other guys here on this list that I put down, um, I put down Cam Sutton. I, I Cam Sutton was only targeted one time the entire game. And yeah. that, that's impressive. And they moved him all over. And I talked about this last week. It needed to be important. The Steelers seem to have did what we talked about. They they put Cam Sutton in the slot for a lot more passing downs while letting James Pierre and Levi Wallace work on the outside. We'll get to James Pierre in a minute. But um, I felt like Cam Sutton did his job on the inside. I felt Devin Bush, not a game, not a game takeover, not a takeover game for him, but another really solid performance where he was up in, up in the, up in the, the pot, up in the box, you know, being physical, setting the tone, good hand usage, good, good explosiveness. I thought he contributed as well. Uh, Cam Hayward, Larry Ogunjobi, they've been consistent. I thought Arthur Mallette, he had a sack. He was yeah. allowed to be more of himself. He wasn't, he didn't have to go be the cover guy. He got to kind of be that downhill, you know, a physical aggressive guy. I thought he played well. Also, Minka Fitzpatrick was only targeted one time the entire game, I believe. And uh, he he also had a, a, what I thought was a huge tackle on a third down to kind of keep uh, keep the you know the uh, the Colt the Colts in checked. Um, and again, my offensive lineman I, I put here. Uh, I put I put James Daniels as the guy here. I, I left Chikuma Core for with an even grade because I felt like his pass protection was solid. But he again he need, he could have been better and needed to be better in the run game. But it wasn't so egregious that I thought he deserved a skull. Um, just not too good enough to get a star. Is there anybody that I missed on this? I also by the way I put Pat Frymuth on the star list here. Uh, is there anybody that I'm missing here that you feel was a one star candidate? Um, that that uh, that I'm missing out on. Mm, not that I think that jumps off the page for me. I mean, I'm I might see something later and maybe think it might be moved up or down. But that list is pretty solid. I mean, Arthur Mollette, he was really really close to being a two star guy in my book. I thought Mollette mm. played, played a really really strong game, and I had heard people you know criticizing him previously in previous games about. Him getting beaten pass coverage. I'm sitting there going, Arthur Mollett, that's not his strong not suit. His, his strong suit is playing inside yeah. the box and, and being that that big nickel slot guy that can rush the quarterback, that can make plays in the run game. That is his bread and butter, as it was Mike Hilton's bread and butter. And Mike Hilton really excelled in those plays. Now, can Mike Hilton make a play in coverage here and there? Yeah, but it was rare. More often than not, he was expected to make a play against the run, you know, going after the quarterback or doing something near the line of scrimmage. That was really his strong suit. I think that's Arthur Mollett's strong suit. And yesterday might have been one of the few days where I didn't put out that Arthur Mollett yeoman's work tweet because I usually put you, out one again. You do that. That is your thing. 
there, there's guys that like continuously in my book do yeoman's work. Arthur Mallette's one. Chris Wormley is one. Those guys, they, they just continue to do yeoman's work. And I feel like Mallette's one of those guys. So, you know, I think he was just a little bit short of two stars, but he, he definitely got a, a one star worth of yeoman's work last night. I'm with you there again. Playing to his his strength is the key. That's that's why my my post game show from the Bengals game was about was about the the defensive game plan the Steelers went in with because they didn't protect him and other role players in the Steelers enough. But let's get to the two star guys because I know there's some people are thinking out there. What about this guy? I had three guys that made two stars. As we said before, Mason Cole. I thought he was huge in this game, settling everything down. But I got two guys on defense that get two stars, and that's Alex Highsmith. And James Pierre Highsmith, I thought was good against the run for most of the most of the game when it, when it was going his way. But especially in that fourth quarter, when they needed him to step up, he gets a sack that produced that 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 sets the Colts back. It forces Matt Ryan to have to make a play on on a, on second down to make it third and manageable. On third down, he 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 even said after the game he read what the formation that the Colts had and saw the tight end was going to try to cut him off. He beat him to the punch brings down Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, forces a fourth down. And on fourth down, the Colts dialed up a pick play where they had an open man, but Matt Ryan couldn't get it to him because Alex Highsmith was walking his man into Matt Ryan, and Mm. Ryan had to kind of step away and throw the ball late, which allowed for the Steelers to get in position and break the pass up. Uh, I thought that he played a very important game. He now has 10 sacks on the season. Uh, Josh, what's been your read on what's made Alex Highsmith very good this year? I think just the fact that he's able to adapt, he's able to learn. And I thought that play you mentioned where, you know, he's able to read what's going to happen. He can see the formation and know what's coming about. And that's really one of those things where you're you're studying film, you're you're leaning on other guys for understanding of what to talk about. And TJ Watt talked about it from the time Alex Highsmith got to Pittsburgh from Charlotte after he got drafted. He said he followed TJ Watt around. He asked him questions. He wanted to know how he did this and how he did that. And what do you look for here? And I think all that stuff is really important. Not to mention the fact, I think Alex Highsmith is incredibly intelligent. No. Oh, absolutely. Got to just talk to him face to face, like outside of, you know, the, the locker room and, and, and game mm-hmm. setting and just got a one-on-one and had a couple of discussions with him. And, and it was it's apparent to me, it's pretty obvious to me that Alex Highsmith is a guy who look, who likes to, you know, understand what he's walking into and, and looking at it from every single angle. Okay. What happens if I do this? What happens? If, what do I do if this goes down? And you can see that growth and maturation. I, I love how people like to throw the, Oh, well, Alex Highsmith is only doing this because TJ Watts back. And I'm sitting there going, first of all, no, because that's not true. Second of all, if if TJ Watt is going to garner that much attention, which he does, because when you're a defending defensive player of the year, that's what happens. Don't you want a guy that can do on the other side things that are similar to what the guy who's garnering all the attention does? That's what Alex Highsmith does. When everybody is focusing on TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith shows up and makes the play that TJ Watt would make. And he made a few of them last night. You detailed them. Those are usually plays that TJ Watt makes. Yep. But when TJ Watt is guarding that much attention and so much attention is being, you know, specialized towards trying to slow him down, someone else has to fill in the gap. I'm not going to sit here and penalize Alex Highsmith for being the guy to step in and fill in the gap when TJ Watt just demands that much attention. And you're right. I think the fact that this guy has 10 sacks and doesn't really get talked about enough, it's baffling. And yes, okay, fine. He plays opposite TJ Watt. There was a time when having two really good guys on the edge was considered a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I remember when Dwight Freedy and Robert Mathis was considered a good thing. Mm-hmm. I remember when Joe Klecko and Mark Gassino was considered a good thing. 
I don't know when that stopped. I remember if we want to keep it to a Steelers reference instead of using other teams, I remember when Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green was considered a good thing. Mm-hmm. So why that stopped being looked at that way, I don't know. Maybe we need to ask the people that are saying these things because clearly odds are there's something else they're trying to get at and it just messes up their whole mindset. When you have a, your other all-world player, which is what TJ Watts pretty much been since he stepped in the door. Let's not kid ourselves. When you got a guy like Highsmith that can come in and adapt to that kind of, not necessarily race to that talent level, but adapt to doing the things that the guy that talent level does and trying to replicate them in certain spots, none of that is bad. That's always a good thing. I'm never going to say no to that. And there are people that kind of question and you're poo-poo and I'm sitting there going, either this is messing up the thing that you always wanted to say and you just don't want to change your mind or you just like being miserable because I can't, I can't understand it. No, I agree with you there. One thing I forgot to say with my one-star grade of Devin Bush, he was targeted five times in this game, allowed four receptions, but those receptions – Total for 15 yards. That means he gave up less than four yards per reception when he was targeted. That's also a very good day, good day for him. But I'll also go 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 with this. My two star guy that we didn't get to talk about here, and we got to do briefly because we're we're over on time right now, Josh. But James Pierre, I gave oh. a two star performance. He had a he had a big interception to start this game where he read Matt Ryan what Matt Ryan was doing, jumped in front of the pass, made the interception, such a huge play. And then the rest of the game, he was only targeted one time. And it was the touchdown pass, and yes, that was that was rough. But I, I felt like he got pushed off on, and that was kind of, that was kind of a tough situation. But for the rest of the game, Matt Ryan didn't go back that way. And if you're doing that as the corner coming off the bench to kind of make you know to kind of replace several guys who should be lining up on the outside because of injury or for whatever other reasons, that's a really good game. You played a really solid game. And I give I give James Pierre a lot of credit for what he did in this game. I'm waiting to see in the next 24 to 36 hours the tweet from Tony Serino. Thank you for giving <laughs> James Pierre two stars because it's coming. It's coming. Know, he, Tony, you better you better give me credit, bro. Yeah, because Tony, you know Tony, he's he's a, he's the president of the James Pierre fan he's club. So I'm sure he love that. CEO, <laughs> the chairman, all of that. No, but to your point, you're absolutely right. And James Pierre is another guy who gets picked on a lot for for you know for what he's not, but for what he's not, he looked a lot better than what he wasn't yesterday. I thought he yep. made a lot of plays. And that interception, I know you know it, it's going to come off as like, oh, he just stepped in front of the ball and made a catch. That was not an easy catch to make, especially mm-hmm. going to the ground and maintaining possession of it. And we've seen this team drop easy, drop easier interception opportunities. By the way, they're second in the league in interceptions, and it doesn't get talked about a lot. It doesn't. I wanted to throw that in there. But um, James Pierre making the play that he made yesterday, I thought that was huge. And it, it comes right back around to what we've been talking about, Chris. A lot of the times, the best thing you could have happen to give your offense a spark is your defense getting a turnover. And he got that one early in the game when this thing was, you know, I won't say it's, you know, it was able to go in any other direction, but it was a time to help push that game in their favor. And they could have done a lot more to really got get ahead earlier. And James Pierce's interception was an opportunity to do that. So, yeah, I, I agree with the way he played. And you're right. The touchdown play, it did look bad on him. But here's the thing. When when James Pierre and Cam Sutton are largely not targeted yeah. for the la- for the larger part of a game, and, and in Cam Sutton's case, the latter part of a game, 
that means they did a really good job in coverage. And when you're not hearing their names called, that means they're doing a pretty good job of keeping guys quiet. And it's one of those things that's not going to show up on the stat sheet. You're not going to hear it a lot from a play-by-play announcer because they're not looking in that direction. They're following where the ball goes. And unless an analyst sees it, a color analyst is actually looking for that, they might not talk about it either. So those are all things that, you know, that kind of describe why that's so important, even though it's largely unheralded in the moment. Absolutely. We got a lot more coming this week. We got crossover Thursday tomorrow with Aaron Freeman of, Lo- of Locked On Falcons. John Harner back on the Friday episode of the Locked On Steelers podcast, so stick with us. Josh, thank you so much for joining this show. Follow him on Twitter uh, at Josh Taylor HD. You can also check him out on 93.7 The Fan and KDK TV. Thanks so much for joining us, Josh. I'm Chris Carter, host of the Locked On Steelers podcast. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Carter Critiques. You can also read my work at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette where I cover Pitt Athletics. We got a lot more coming your way right here on the Locked On Steelers podcast. Podcast. Remember to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, and YouTube. Like the video if you saw it. Subscribe to this YouTube channel to get all of our daily Monday through Friday episodes. Be back Thursday for a crossover episode getting you ready for Steelers Falcons this weekend.